Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Dear God, I thank you for this day and this chance for us all to come together to worship you. You are a wonderful God. I'd ask that you'd speak through me today as I come to share your word. And I pray we learn more about you and your character. Amen. Amen. All right, you can all be seated. Good morning, everyone. It, it is great for us all to be back together in one service. Now, now, for those who do not know, my name is Jacob Dolezal. I am a deacon in training, and I run the Kids Point Ministry in the back. Hey, guys. Uh, thank you. <laughs> the week before we closed down the church, actually the day before, we had a meeting of elders and deacons, and we decided, all right, in June, all the elders and deacons are going to preach, give Nate a break. And then we didn't have church for three months, and now we're back. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I was prepared because as I was writing my sermon, I thought I'd be doing it to the camera. So if I told a bad joke, I could just assume that you were all laughing. But now, since we're back, I'll actually know it was bad. All right, so let's get into it. We're going to continue in Psalm 119. We're going to be going through verses 121 through 128. 128. I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. My eyes fail with longing for your salvation and for your righteous word. Deal with your servant according to your loving kindness and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for they have broken your law. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, yes, above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. Last week, Nathan shared with us about servanthood. And when I had originally started writing this sermon, that's what I was going to be teaching on was servanthood. But then we reopened and we had to push everybody back a week. Remember, recap. Being a servant is different than what we think of when we first think of servanthood. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 11, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. What a wonderful yet challenging idea. And I really think that these set of verses that we just read really shows David's servant heart. But as I was searching through different commentaries on this set of scripture, I came across a quote from this pastor, and I couldn't find who the pastor was that originally said it, but he described this set of verses as a righteous man's prayer against injustice. And this stuck out to me so much, not only because of what's going on in the world today, but because inside, I like justice, and I don't want injustice. I am a textbook by the book rule follower. 
I love rules, and I want everyone to follow them. <laughs> it, it just doesn't make sense to me for people to not follow the rules. Now, for those who don't know, I'm the oldest of five kids, three brothers and one sister. First off, yes, she is a princess, and yes, she is the favorite child. <laughs> now, of the five of us, I would say three of us are rule followers, with two being, not that they're rule breakers, but they just like to bend the rules accordingly. And like, we love each other, we pick on each other, that's how we show our affection to each other. But when someone that we love, whether it be a close friend, a family member, is wronged, I don't know if it's the fact that my mom is Irish, so we have her Irish temper, or that my, because my dad is Batman, that we have this sense of justice <laughs> that just cannot be filled until the person pays immediately. So we'd, go, we'd get all wound up at home, we'd start feeding off one another, and then my dad would come in and quote Ephesians 6.12 to us. For there are struggles not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And what he came to just have to say is, it's not flesh against flesh. And it began, oh, it was a, it was a buzz kill, <laughs> definitely. Uh, and so the question became, what am I supposed to do with all this anger that I'm feeling towards the injustice that has been done? And that is what we're going to be looking at through these verses. Because in Ephesians, Paul says, be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Man, that is hard when you get angry at 10 o'clock at night because the sun's already <laughs> down. But it's, it's such a challenging verse when you start to actually look at it. It's easy to just say, oh, just don't be angry and don't sin. Well, that's most of the time you're looking at that when you're not angry. When you actually are, it's a totally different ballgame. So, as a surprise to sure to all of you, us at Pierce Point, we're going to break it down verse by verse. <laughs> so let's go with verse 121. It's coming. There we go. I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. David is making a plea to God. Now, why would he start out with saying that he has done justice and righteousness? Well, David knows that God's coherent nature is goodness. We've talked about this during our devotion time several months ago. And I think this A.W. Tozer quote really sums up what I want to say. That God is good is taught or implied on every page of the Bible and must be received as an article of faith as impregnable as the throne of God is a foundation sown stone for all sound thought about God and is necessary to moral sanity. Moral sanity. I think that is something we need in this world today because they surely don't have it. Uh, we can also look at this Charles Spurgeon quote to give us another insight as to why David would be making this plea. I have done judgment and justice. This is a great thing for an Eastern ruler to say at any time. For these despots mostly cared more for gain than for justice. Some of them altogether neglected their duty and would, do, and would not even do judgment at all, preferring their pleasures to their duties. 
Many more of them sold their judgments to the highest bidder by, making, by taking bribes or regarding the persons of men. Some rulers gave neither judgment nor justice. Other gave judgment without justice. But David gave judgment and justice and saw that his sentences were carried out. This contrasts even more the differences between David and the rulers of his time. David was a man of his word. He was righteous not only in the eyes of men, but also in the eyes of God. Let's go verse 122. Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. Now, I did not know what the word surety meant. On Tuesday night when we were talking about it, Barney's like, oh yeah, surety bond. I know what that is. And I, I had no idea. But by definition, the word surety means a state of being sure, assurance. That makes sense. David is asking God to protect his well-being for good. But there's an alternate definition that I found very interesting. It says, someone who is legally liable for debt or failure in duty of another. Someone who pays the debt of another who cannot pay their debt. What does that sound like to you? Oh, you didn't even let me get there. Gosh. <laughs> I had this whole line like, oh, I'll give you a hint. He died for us. And you guys go ahead and just jump the gun. That's right, Jesus. He took our debt, the judgment of our sin. So we wouldn't have to experience the cost of our own actions, death. Jesus not only took the bullet for us, but he gave us something even greater in return. He gave us an opportunity to spend eternity with him should we choose to follow him. 1 Corinthians 6.20 for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This makes sense, considering Paul is always talking about being a bondservant to Christ. Let's go 123. My eyes fail with longing for your salvation and for your righteous word. We haven't even talked about how in the first couple of verses there are people actively trying to oppress David. He's looking to be saved, and he's looking to God for that. How many times are we looking for our own salvation in places that aren't God? As we know from earlier, David knows that God is good and will come through for his servant. In the midst of in the injustice that David is facing, he needs to see the light at the end of the tunnel. We've all been in a spot where we have just cried our eyes out to the point they are so tired you can barely keep them open. But David is saying that we want to keep looking, even in the midst of wanting to keep them closed. Let's go 124 through 125. Deal with your servant according to your loving kindness and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. David is admitting his own lack of understanding here and his own position with God. He is a servant of God first, and then a king over men. How many leaders today are actually willing to admit that they are a servant to someone other than themselves? We think of David as this mighty figure. He slayed Goliath. He was a king chosen by God. And here we get a chance to see ourselves in him. We, like David, need understanding during challenging circumstances. But David is showing us where to go with this. He is going to God and God's word so that, they may find, so that he may find peace in the midst of the chaos that is going on around him. Do we do that?
Do we go to God's word when we, in our most dire of circumstances? Sure, just after we've tried every other way ourselves to fix it. God's word needs to be the first place that we turn to in the times of crisis. David, if we look back, connect with the last verse, David is looking at God's word or his promises until he can't physically keep looking. He's looking for that. He knows that God will keep his promises. Do we know that? Do we believe it? We've got a whole book here full of God's promises and the fulfillment of them. Let's go 126. It is time for the Lord to act, for they have broken your law. We have all cried out to God, if not these words, another. We want justice for us and for our loved ones. But we want God to move when we want him to. But that's not how it always works. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all come to come to repentance. This isn't a God issue. This is a patience issue. We don't want to wait for anything. We pull a frozen meal out of the freezer and see it takes 25 minutes in the oven or three minutes in the microwave. Which ones do we actually pick? Now, truth be told, I, I'm not a believer that the oven's always the best way. They taste the same. But that's just me. <laughs> you get what I'm saying, though. Patience, by definition, means long-suffering, and we don't want to suffer at all. We need to trust in God's timing. Let's go 127 through 128. Thank you, Mr. Jim. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold. Yes, above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. The value that David puts on God's word is something that we need to all strive for. He cherishes it above the finest gold and above all the riches. Now let's compare him to the rich young ruler for a moment. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments... Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. You got to think at this point, he's like, all right, oh yeah, I'm, in, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor. You will, have a, you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. The rich young ruler gives us an example of someone who can't give up their most important thing to follow God. In contrast, David tells us about how he values God's commandments above finest gold, the most precious thing that the world has to offer to him. We're talking about money, riches, worldly desire here. David is putting God's command above that. 
where on the rich young ruler, he just can't say the same thing. To David, God's word is worth more than any gold or anything that the world can give him. Because you know what gold can't do? It can't protect you. It can't give you wisdom. It can't give you peace. Sure, you can throw your money at your problems, but does that actually solve any of them? Not really. See, both 127 and 128 are referring back to 126. 126, remember, says... It is time for the Lord to act. 127, I love your commandments. 128, I hate every way that is not yours. This is even more of crying out God, crying out to God to act now. The world isn't following God's way. This shows David even more why he needs to follow the words that he gave him and the path that was laid before him. Like I said in the beginning, I really liked the servant aspect of this particular grouping of scripture. I think David displays a true benefit of being a servant of God. David, the servant, in the midst of people trying to oppress him and put, keep him down, goes to God, the master, for security. Rather than worry, we can run to God and find peace. We're going to come back to that point, so don't forget about it. Got it, Faye? All right, good. <laughs> that was just too cute. She just nodded. Uh, she will not forget. <laughs> so there would have been three different forms of injustice David would have seen in his day. The first one being a personal injustice against David himself. We can see examples of that with King Saul trying to kill David and trying, feeling threatened by him in the midst of, right before David took over as king. And then we also see that through David's son, Absalom. And for those who don't remember, Absalom was David's son who, after a series of unfortunate events, decided that he was going to try and usurp David from the throne. And in the ensuing rebellion that he caused, died. The second form, we're going to come back to him, so don't worry. The second form of injustice David would have seen would have been from the outside world. Other kings and kingdoms uh, that were outside of Israel. And we can see through the Spurgeon quote that not everybody in, around David was a righteous ruler of their time. And we know from today's world that nobody likes a goody two-shoes. Especially when they just make everyone else see just how flawed you actually are. The last way David would have seen injustice would have been God's people not following God's word. We can see through this psalm and many others that David wrote just how highly David values God's words and commands. Can you imagine how it must feel to see the very people promised to God basically spitting on the words that he gave them? We see this a lot in church in general. Today, then, people know what they aren't supposed to be doing, yet they keep doing it. As I've read these verses again and again, I really just see the first two forms of injustice that we talked about that David could have been writing about here. He talks about keeping God's words, God's servant safe, being David himself. So we can see this as a personal injustice. Also knowing that there are other forces or rulers of the day, David could be talking about oppressors of the entire nation of Israel. 
Now, before we go on to my final point, I want to talk about Absalom and the events that led to his rebellion and death. The Absalom had a brother, or had a sister, he had a brother too, had a sister named Tamara, and she was very beautiful. But she was attacked by their half-brother, Amnon, and this destroyed Absalom because he loved his sister, and he had seen what this had done to her. For two years, he did nothing with his anger. He just let it boil for two years until he decided to take vengeance out and kill Amnon. Now, is this the end of the story? Is this the happy ending where they all get to go home? And No, 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 it isn't. Absalom goes down a very dark path that eventually leads to his death. Nathan shared a couple weeks ago during one of the midweek updates that vengeance is not ours to take, but God's alone. You know what doesn't solve one sin? Committing another one. Two wrongs will never make a right. Remember that verse in Ephesians that we talked about, don't be angry yet, do not sin? You know what the very next verse says? It says, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Now, why, why would Paul say that? Most of the time when we are angry, we become so focused in on that one thing that our defenses in other areas go down. We become susceptible. Absalom did not handle his anger in the face of injustice the way that we are called to, much less how his father David did. Now we're at the point that, Faye, I didn't want you to forget about. We're, we're here. Why, why should we go to God's word in prayer in the midst of injustice? As we can see from Absalom's example, taking vengeance on our own will help nothing. It'll send us down a slippery slope. We need to look at the example that David sets before us. James 16, the, fir, the effectual, fir, James 5.16, I'm getting, getting ahead of myself here. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This is the King James Version, yes, and I think that it puts it the best. What it means is the prayer of a righteous man, he can withstand much. See, what, when we're constant through prayer, we can walk through fire, and though we may be burned, we will not be consumed by it. Either, either. Earlier, I mentioned that the servant can go to the master for protection and security. In the midst of chaos, we need to go, know where to go to find these things. So, now I'm going to read to you. Jim's going to put it up on the screen. We're going to read Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change. And though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, there is a river whose stream make glad the city of God. The holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. He will not be moved. He, God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. 
He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. This is why we go to God in the midst of injustice. The world will always change and move around. If, if we're going to go with an analogy, let's say the world is like an ocean, always twisting and turning. The current is always changing. But God isn't just some boat on that ocean. No, he's the island that the whole ocean is moving around. He what does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a good, just God who loves us. He is our stronghold, which we really need today. With everything going on with COVID and all the racial tensions, we need a stronghold about now, I would say so. You know what you find in a stronghold? Comfort, support, rest, peace, security. You can be, it is a safe place to be broken. You can cry out in a stronghold and know that you are okay to do it. This is why we cry out in injustice. This is why David did it. This world is constantly changing, and it doesn't make sense. So we need to turn to the one person who does make sense, God. All right, adults, you've heard your piece. Now, as being in charge of the kids' ministry, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to the kids for a sec. So, boys and girls, these are some crazy, crazy times right now. And I'm a grown man, and I don't really understand what's going on completely. So, I can't imagine you having a better idea. But if you do, uh, I'm quite impressed. And we should talk after the service. What I want you to take away from today is when things seem unfair. Now, I'm not talking about unfairness as in you did something you weren't supposed to do and you got caught and got in trouble. No, I'm talking about actually unfair. You need to go to God in prayer. Life is going to throw you some nasty curveballs, and the only way that you're going to be able to get through it is through God and through his word. You guys have some great grandparents, parents, aunts, and uncles, people who love God and want you to know more about God. And they're going to agree with what I'm saying here. At least I hope so. <laughs> Prayer, it's like riding a bike. Like everything is riding, like riding a bike. The more that you do it, the more natural it will become. And the better you'll get at it. So if you start now, man, I'm going to be super impressed when you're older to see what your prayer life is like. And I'm not talking about just the bad times. Talk to God during the good times, all the time. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, that sounds like a really awesome life worth striving for. Now, back to everybody. Parents, you can turn your ears back on. I'll wait if you need a, if you need a little recharge for the... 
guys, we need to be going to prayer for everything. That's, that's the only way that we're going to be able to get through what this life is throwing at us. And it's going to throw some crazy pitches. Um, he needs to be our first stop, not the last one, not the second, our first stop when we go. Now I'm going to ask that the worship team come on back up for communion. Uh, Mark is going to help me hand out communion. We're going to come around to all of you and hand it out like we did last week. But I want you to, as before you partake of the elements, I want you to reflect on what God has done for you. Um, we're supposed to do this in memory of him for what he did for us. He saved us from our own stupidity, our own sin. It's sad that we have to, that we could even potentially forget about that. So let, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to come together and to praise and worship you. We are so thankful that you allow us to find security and safety in you and your presence, especially in the midst of chaos. Thank you for being safe. Thank you for giving up your son to pay for our transgressions. You are a good, just, righteous God, and I am eternally Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.